It is indeed a time for the Crime Report. Brought to you by the Crime Stoppers, Suffolk County. 1-800-220-TIPS. 220-8477. for all calls are indeed kept anonymous. And a monetary warrant issued in some cases of $5,000 or more for information on lethal arrest or arrest. Uh, Joe Jacklone, of course, uh, retired... Sergeant NYPD, former commanding officer of Bronx Cold Case Squad, current adjunct professor at John Jay, and an author of the Criminal Investigative Functional Guide for New Investigators, uh, edition number four. Joe, of course, highly decorated member of the day of the NYPD, including the most notable Department Medal of Valor. We had a little communication issue before with Joe's phone, so we wanted to get him back on so many things going on. We were talking about Idaho and all that transpired yesterday. Probable cause affidavit unsealed. Uh, Joe, welcome back. Um, you know, just pleth- a plethora of information regarding uh, this uh, Kohlberger. Apparently, he was uh, stalking the uh, situation for months prior, house, whatnot. Definitely a targeted deal. Um, and, you know, like I said, and I mean to make light of it so much, but a guy who's supposedly so smart on his way to getting uh, a doctorate in chronology, uh, very sloppy. You know, the sheath, the knife, the button, DNA all over the place, footprint, uh, coming in contact with another member of that house on that dreadful morning of November 13th. Uh, and the big question was, why didn't that, why didn't the girl do anything? She locked herself in the room. She had came face to face with a killer, uh, didn't call police. Police were called maybe eight hours later, a little less, uh, a ton of questions. The white Elantra cross country trip. Uh, cop stopping him, maybe by way of the FBI, getting a good photo. The cut in the arm. I'll tell you, uh, a lot of things. I mean, if you're you're a public defender now with this guy, I mean, if you're a public defender, how do you how do you even present a case? I can't even imagine. Uh, it seems to me this this guy it's ironclad almost. No, I might be wrong. Well, nothing's ironclad, right? Because I always point to uh, the Casey Anthony case when you say to yourself, you know, anything can happen. So here, here's where uh, we're at, I feel. You have a situation where, if you recall last week, Jay, when we spoke, I said cell phone records, internet records, and video surveillance is going to be the thing that solved this case. I know people are talking about the DNA and forensic genealogy. They were, they, you know, That had gotten leaked out, and I kind of said we didn't know that. But it really, you know, has nothing to do with it per se, right? So they, they kind of knew who he was. They, they were following him. They knew where to go to get the um, <clears throat> DNA sample from the father. So it's not, um, you know, an open and shut case with that part. However, we don't know a couple of key factors. What evidence was recovered in the car? Because if they find the blood in the car, his goose is cooked. So... Here's an example of you know modern technology. Like we, we know he shut the phone off, thinking that he can't be tracked and, and go to the house and do it. And then he gets back in the car, he drives away and puts the phone back on. It looks like he went back to the university. It looks like he went back to the house. There's about an hour or so gap between the time he goes to the uh, leave the crime scene, goes to the uh, university, and he goes back to his house. So we have to, they have to follow up with that. I'm sure they have already. 
looking in garbage pails and bins and looking for video surveillance, right? Because you know the university's got video surveillance. So I think we're going to see a lot of uh, video surveillance evidence pointing at him as the perpetrator in this case. Mm. Um, what about uh, the fact of the DNA itself? Uh, the sheath, the garbage that they went through at the home of the parents in Pennsylvania, and I guess they kind of put the pieces together regarding that. Um, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Now, again, they have the death penalty in the state of Idaho. So if you're defending this guy, is it all about trying to maybe all course and keep him alive, you know, in prison for the rest of his life as, as compared to maybe getting a needle in the arm? Is that the way of thinking right now or no? Well, I do, and if, if I'm a defense attorney, uh, the only thing I'm really trying to attack is the crime scene processing, right? Because we already know there's a little bit of a, an issue, per se. So they didn't find this footprint, and they don't describe the footprint. Uh, like if it's a bloody footprint or whatever, all they just say is from a van's type of shoe, and they didn't find it on the initial search, right? So you and I spoke about this, the constant going back and forth to the house, doing evidence, you know, going on to this thing when they would let all the property out of the house for the personal reason. You know, all those things can come back and haunt them. So the they're not going to be able, the defense attorney is not going to be able to, to fight the technology, right? Because you have the, the cell phone records, you have, you're going to have the video. The only thing they're going to be able to attack is that DNA evidence recovered at the crime scene because that's where their case has got to be focused on. If they can get that somehow thrown out or or um, miscredited, then you know then, then they they have a better chance of uh, getting out of this. But that that to me is where the um, the main focus for the defense will be the crime scene processing. Yep. Uh, cell phone turned off 247, back on 448 there in the morning we're talking about. Obviously fits into the timeline. These kids were killed somewhere between 4A, 425A in that span. So, uh, listen, defense has their hands full with this whole thing. Uh, you know, could a, a psych defense be put in play? He's been sounding off in the, in the jail cell. Inmates reporting, you know, yelling out to guards, come in here, I'll cut you. Uh, you know, he's off his rocker, we know. I mean, is that part of the game plan here? Maybe some sort of a uh, an insanity deal here? Well, like I said, I don't know if that's been verified. I think there's been some um, going back and forth about it, who actually made those statements about coming in here, I'll cut you kind of thing. So I'm not really too concerned about that. <clears throat> but he he did say that um, they asked him, you know, if he had any mental issues or whatever, and he said no. So that, that you know, the defense attorney in Idaho is not going to be happy about him making that statement. And he also, it looks it looks like it appears that he was willing to talk to the police in the very beginning, which kind of shows you like his insight and the respect that he's he's probably kind of arrogant, and he you know he thinks he's smarter than the cops, and I think he he, he felt that he would be able to talk his way out of this. And I and I believe that the uh, defense attorney uh, stepped in and said, you know, we're, we're not doing this. Waving extradition, prime example of that, Joe. So, uh, no question, the arrogance you can see. What about cold cases in general? I'm sure investigators are on it with possibilities being linked to Kohlberger if there are any open cases in and around over the years, no? 
well, absolutely, everywhere this guy's lived or worked now, right? So you'd have to look at Idaho, you'd have to look at Washington area, and you'd also have to look basically anywhere from that corridor from where, he, where he's been working and, and where he, his family lives in Pennsylvania. You think about an extended crime scene like this, it's, just, it's huge. It's almost the entire length of the country. Uh, um, do we know anything, and I guess more will come out today maybe, as far as just overall motive? We talk about targeting an encounter that this guy had, maybe shunned. Uh, in the fact of stalking any of these women, um, do we know anything more as far as the uh, the contact that may have been between Coburg and these girls? No, and, and we're not going to learn about that until the trial. Um, everybody's been, actually, they added additional gag orders yesterday. They won't even let you talk to the family members or anything like that, so... This this case right now, uh, as far as we go, everything we hear from from here on end uh, will be pure speculation because they are not going to allow anything happening. I think the judge, when he slapped the uh, gag order on on um, you know basically the uh, just about everybody, right? So I'm I'm assuming that includes the coroner and the attorney and everything else because we saw some statements that were made in the very beginning of this investigation by some of the uh, you know the professionals in this. Um, in this case, and, and, I, and, and I, it was a bad look, right? It was contradictory, it was this, it was that, so I think the judge is stepping up to the plate here and saying, we're not going to go through this mess. Um, you know, one final thought when you think about everything here, the investigation at the beginning of it all, I mean, you talk about criticism coming from everywhere. You know, the, the Moscow Police Department, uh, you know, the Keystone cops, so to speak. But, you know, last week, James Fry goes to the microphone, a little nervous, a little deer in the headlights, but pretty much feeling pretty proud. You know, you got a sense as far as the apprehension of Coburg and whatnot. So, in essence, Joe, when you look back as far, and you've been a part of many a cold case so when you look back as far as the beginning of it all, the embryonic stages in this investigation as to where we are today on this 6th day of January, I mean, what's your overall feeling as far as the process is concerned? Well, uh, you and I have spoken about it, and I've done a number of interviews on this. I was pretty positive that they would solve this case. As a matter of fact, the day or so before on the Law and Crime Network, I said they have suspects, and I got beat up for it. Um, but, uh, you know, now people ask, well, how did I know I had suspects? If you looked at the day before, the chief did an interview. He was sitting in a chair, and he's leaning back, and it, he was a man that didn't have any stress on his face. And he was talking about it, and he said, oh, you know, you know, we might, you know, we're going to solve this case. I don't know if it's going to take a year or so for trial, he said. So, to me, uh, that was like the big red flag that they, they have somebody on their radar, and it's coming soon. So... You know, the police department, uh, including the state police, including the FBI, were unmercifully beat up by the, uh, you know, true crime community and everybody else out there because everybody's an expert, right? You went to the Twitter Police Academy and now every, you know everything about policing. And everyone thinks it's easy. And everybody, oh, why didn't you do this? Well, because you need evidence. and You need to be able to go to testify about that evidence and you need to build a case. It just doesn't happen overnight. So I give the chief a lot of cause through all that uh Adversity. He he maintained a professional composure, and he was able to, you know, deliver the message, take the hits, and now he's kind of, uh, you know, basking in the glow of uh, of a job well done. And you know what? He, he deserves every uh, every all the credit in the world. 
Nothing else. He gives you hope regarding some of these cases, even locally here with Gilgo. You know, with all the technology and the genealogy and everything else they have in play, familial DNA, you and I speak about over time. Uh, it gives you hope, and you just wonder if they will ever solve some tough cases. And I come, to, I always Gilgo comes into my mind. You and I have been at this for years, but in essence, do you still have a pretty good feeling that we will have a conclusion locally here? Yes, I do, and. Uh we have two major federal laws that were put into place in the last few months. The president signed in August, he signed in the uh, Homicide Victims Families Rights Act, which which says any police department who has a cold case that has some federal assistance in it, they're, they're going to have a reviewal process. And, you know, and they're going to apply the new forensic technologies to this. So this is it's pretty exciting when you think about it. And then just uh, last week, they had... Um, the president signed in the Help Find the Missing Act, which is going to require all law enforcement to use NamUs, the National Missing Identified Persons Report, in order to put DNA into the system connected to NCIC, right, the National Crime Information Center, and be able to track missing persons cases and unidentified human remains so that if a police department has unidentified human remains like Suffolk County does and Nassau County does, they might have a hit somewhere in Pennsylvania or Montana or wherever the kid uh, came from because they have this now system that's going to all be interconnected. And, and people saying, you mean we didn't have that to begin with? The answer to that question was no. So now we're going to have that going forward in the next year or so. So it, it is kind of exciting to, to see the federal government getting involved in the cold case problem. In cases 30, 40 years old being solved, uh, which is an excellent thing. I mean, I, my goodness. Uh, the tech, you know, we always talk technology in the medical field, but in the uh, enforcement field, it is amazing to see what has transpired over the last year or so with cases, like I said, even locally. You know, we've had cases here in Long Island that uh, we haven't got word of 40 years, 50 years, you know, solved. Uh, finally, you get a conclusion here. I mean, that goes a long way. It really does. So, uh, well, my concern about that whole thing yeah. is Albany. Right. My concern is Albany. Right. They, you know, they've already limited familial DNA searches and everything else that goes on, right? So, you know, privacy issues and, and everything else that they claim. So that's the only thing I think that can derail it. And that, that's a lot of, you know, when you think about it, the police department gets blamed for a lot of stuff, but, but the local governments and the state governments are generally holding up these technologies. So, Jacqueline, the crime report, we'll throw Joe a couple of more here while we got him. Uh, a little bonus time this morning. Um, I was taking a look at New York City, Joe, and you know this. They continue to struggle with some of the overall increase. Some of the major crimes we close out 2022. I know they've had a couple of months of declines, homicide shootings, uh, but for the entire year, and if you look at major felonies, burglaries, robberies, grand larcenies, homicides, they increased if you compare 22 to 21. Um, what what is your overall take here? You had Adams get to the microphone or news conference. Keisha Sewell was there. You know they're kind of stressing some of the trends in a positive sense in the latter part of the year as evidence that police are very poised, hopefully to continue that trend into the new year. What's your overall take? Well, right now the only thing that they can you know wave their pom poms about is that murders and shootings are down, which is always a good thing. But everything else has been awful. Uh, transit crime had a good couple of months after the, what we refer to as the surge, right, where they put a thousand extra cops in there right before the election. 
So that's those are good signs. But the thing about the shootings and homicides, what the you know, well, I guess the, what the haters, right? The people who don't like the police, the fund the police movement, the activists. What they won't do is give credit to the police department. So you here you have they seized over seven thousand illegal handguns, right? It was like four hundred and something ghost guns seized, and they had a twenty-seven year high of gun arrests. That's like. It was like something like 4,700 gun arrests or something crazy like that. So a 27-year high in, in gun arrests, which shows you that when you let the police do their job, they can reduce violence. But this is the same crowd that says that the police don't prevent crime. So they can't come around and say, oh, look, the police department did a great job, because that would then undermine their entire uh, theory about what policing should be and what it shouldn't be. So that's that's the real crux of the situation there. And, it, and, it, and that's the real shame, including many of the politicians who support the defund the police movement. So when you've seen now the police surge in transit, and that has worked, right? We saw double-digit decreases every week after the first week it was put in. And, you know, if they just let the police do it now, the flip side of this is what about prosecution? What about Albany? What are they doing? Is it constantly just <laughs> out of those, what I'd like to know out of those like 46 or 4,700 gun arrests, how many of them would turn right back out into the street and were rearrested again for some other felony? That's that's where we have to deal with it because those numbers then get affected by the grand losses and the rapes and the robberies and everything else that you have to be concerned about. So unless the entire criminal justice system gets on board, and I mean about prosecuting, and I mean about keeping people, and I mean incarcerating people, but that is a terrible or a bad word these days when you say you want to incarcerate people because that's like against the, the the rules of the of the new of the new theories out there. So, listen, incapacitation matters. Keeping people off the streets who deserve to be put in the you know, how many times you you know I'd like to know how many times do they think someone should be arrested before we we put them away for a while? Just come up with a number already and just tell us. Is it a hundred? Is it two hundred? I mean, just just let us know because at this point it's getting ridiculous. It's about recognizing in real time. You know, we've spoken about this before regarding the recidivism rates. You know, when you have a leader of an Albany as the likes of Andrew Stewart Cousins, who feels that uh, it's only two percent, and you get a guy like Jim Quinn, who's been in a DA's office for forty years out of Queens, saying, "You know what? Where's get that number from." You know, and he's saying, "You know, it's like 43 percent." That's a problem. If you're not recognizing the issue, especially when it comes to our leaders in Albany, then we ha- we can't do anything about it. And especially, you know, you bring up defunding the police and everything else. When you get rhetoric out of a professor at Stony Brook University, my goodness, you know, criticizing police in Suffolk County for what she thinks is a murder of a knife-wielding attacker who stabbed two officers. And thank goodness. One of them's leaving today. The other, the second one's leaving the hospital today. Thank goodness uh, for that. That's when you know you have an issue. Because if you're getting somebody who's mentoring students without knowing the facts, without being present in that situation, that's when we... See, this is when it permeates like a cancer into society with the rhetoric and everything else that Haywood was spewing out. My goodness. I mean, how bad does it get, Joe? Well, you know, it's it's terrible, but this is the thing. is like you, you said, like, you know, she's making this statement without knowing the facts. She knows the facts. This is this is the party line. No one's going to call her out on her lie, and that's the, and that's the thing. Because look, we still have um, 
you know, a major, uh, the vice president puts out, you know, the murder of Michael Brown, when that was, that was actually debunked. We have other politicians putting out the, you know, hands up, don't shoot stuff, which we know was debunked. They continue to put these out there because they know the um, the groups out there that follow them and and that believe this stuff will will do so blindly without knowing or caring to know what the actual truth is. And that's what you're dealing with here. You, you, this is like almost like a, a radicalization part of it, where even when presented with the truth, they still won't believe it. And we see this now on both sides of the island. Well, you hope things will change, and guess what? You get this stuff coming out of Stony Brook U last week with Anna Hayward. Uh, who we have reached out to, by the way, they don't know Val. So uh, we wanted, <laughs> yeah, we wanted her to explain herself. She doesn't want to do it. Uh, she feels that's the best way to just sound off uh, unceremoniously like that without any factual information. Uh, you talk about you know the spewing of words of that nature that could permeate in a negative way. And this is coming from a college professor, but we've seen this before around the country. 